reflecting on the way it is. The title of this retreat is on a sign behind me, Guiding Our Heart Home. What does this mean? Arlung Pacha would call it our real home. So, when this word, English word home, means where we can relax, we can be at ease. And so, this emphasis on reflective awareness is just this simple style of being the knower, the witness to the feelings, to the body, to the conditions, to the habit patterns. This awareness is home, it's where There's no fear, no resistance, no indulgence, but it's just the simple reality of awaken, awakenness, and then this reflective ability, the, the nature of Bhutto is reflecting on the way it is. So suddenly this, the word Buddha becomes not just a a kind of exotic word or uh, referring to a past sage, but the reality of here and now. It's using the word, not clinging to it, because the word itself, it's Sankara, comes and goes. But it's a reminder, because we get lost in the self-views, the world that we believe in is the real world. So in awareness, be aware of, like being aware of thinking, This is a a very direct path. Thinking is a habit we've developed. It's an acquired habit. You're not born thinking. But thinking is, takes us to all levels of elation, depression, confidence, lack of confidence, sense of, you know, I am my thoughts, I am my memories, I have these desires, they're what I am, I'm this kind of person. That's all thinking. Pure awareness isn't a thought. So in discerning, before you think, 
before you create a thought, there's awareness. So this intentional thinking, I am a human being, is, you know, is a, an exercise in recognizing, affirming the path of non-suffering before you think the personal pronoun I There's awareness, isn't there? There's no thought. The gaps between I am a human being and the final thought human being, there's awareness. This is our real home. It's not in attaching to the idea of being a human being or any condition. So it's, 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 you know, it's here and now, it's not created. It's with us all the time that the conditioning, the sankharas that we, that we identified with, that we cling to, take us over. They, they hide reality from us. So when we talk about the world is an illusion, you know, in, Buddhists say the world is an illusion. What we, what we mean is we're not what the world is, what the conditioned realm is. The illusion, illusory world is I am this body, I am this personality. This is the illusory world that I create out of ignorance, out of avicca, out of not understanding Dhamma. So what people call the real world is an illusion. Because, you know, we're just thinking of tomorrow is the end of the retreat. We separate, what comes together must separate and we go back to our real life, our daily life, the real world, and the world that, you know, the retreat is just a memory. After the retreat, what will the retreat be for you? You, you remember it. It's a memory. But when you're looking for your real home, it's not in the world you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, create, like or fear or dislike, but in awareness. So on this retreat, guiding our heart home, or our real home. And, you know, I encourage you in, in daily life, you know, after the retreat, during the retreat, to trust this kind of reflectiveness. You know, in, in integrating practice into your busy lives, daily lives, 
this is a, you know, if you think of it just sitting down and getting samadhi, then it's, you know, it's difficult because you see the rest of your life is, is non-practice. And practice is relegated to sitting posture or formal meditation techniques. So sometimes this is, you know, this is the bewildering question at the end of a retreat. How do I integrate mindfulness into my family life, into my working life? Because we, we tend to identify, uh, you know, silence or peace on a meditation retreat. You know, so this is a special setup. You know, it's uh, designed, it's created for you. You know, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's still a condition, a, a setup where the demands to be a special person, a personality, uh, you know, and the usual habit patterns of, of our egos and worldly expectations are minimal. You know, so it's not like, you know, you don't have to shop or cook food or socialize. Because these are things that we do in daily life, busy, you know, shopping, planning meals, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, going to work, having to relate to our families, to friends, to people at work. And then meditation is seen only in terms of 10-day retreats or special time allotted for sitting practice. So, but awareness is available to us all the time. So what makes you feel more personal or more separate is your identity and what, you know, the world around you, the society you're in, affirms your separateness. You know, it's a constant affirmation that you are a separate person. You are a man, you are a woman, you are a mother, you are a father, husband, your husband, your wife, and on and on like that. These are, you know, conventions that we strongly are influenced by and cling to. So, in, you know, it's called conventional reality or samut satcha in Pali, conventional reality. But conventional reality is not the real world. It's just convention. It's the illusory world that we live in as a separate person, separate form. But your real home, our real home, is this awareness. And so this continuous reminder when 
you know, you're not what you're thinking. When you start thinking about yourself, you know, as, as, as a man or a woman or a mother or a father and so forth, reflect that these are per- perceptions, concepts that you create, that create this sense of separateness. They're appropriate only on the conventional illusory level, but ultimately they tend to blind us to our real home. And so therefore, you know, the conventional world is unstable, changes, beyond our control, we can't make it, you know, stable and, and permanent and what we like. It's impossible to create a world that's permanent. The world we create is the very nature is, is not our real home. We're not at home in this, this world we create. There's a lot of things to fear or ang- I mean, we suffer from anxiety from the critical mind because we see imperfections in our egos. Our, you know, we're aware of our own weaknesses and flaws. We're critical of others because they, they aren't living up to our standards or they do things wrong and irritate us. We see, you know, the, world outside is an irritation, frustration. We look at ourselves in a, in a critical way. You know, I could be kinder, I should be more patient, and on and on like this. We These are the illusions we create that we're impatient, we're this person that has these kind of tendencies or problems, emotional problems. And the world is that we create is a problem because it's so uncertain, unstable and changing. But what is stable, unshakable, is consciousness, awareness. So awareness of conventional reality is not, is not criticizing it. We're not saying there's anything wrong about conventions or society or the illusory world we create. We're not, you know, sati sampatanya isn't a critical function. But it is aware of the way it is. And when you start intentionally thinking, I am a human being, you know, you begin, you begin to recognize your real home is before you think the word I. We tend to not notice that because the illusory world we're, we're attached to, so we operate from attaching from one condition to another and not noticing, not being aware of our real home, which is conscious awareness, presence, pure presence, 
experience here and now. When I think of my real home, I think, you know, the, I was born in Seattle, Washington, United States. Is that my real home? I haven't lived there for 60 years. <laughs> but still, the thought of, you know, birthplace, hold some kind of, has its effect on consciousness. So, none of you were born in Seattle. <laughs> so, when you think of your birthplace, you know, you observe when you think of where you were born. And it's like this, the sense of having born and been raised, educated in this one place. Is a memory, a perception? Ajahn Asoka was born in New York City, but he identifies with where he grew up was in Switzerland, so he says, where does he belong, you know, in conventional terms? I don't think he creates a problem about this, but... I mean, just pointing out how we identify with, with our nationality. With our race, with our religion with our gender, these are conventions. These are the illusions we create. And then you think, am I really a, a man? You know, the body is, uh, you know, the bodies are either male or female. So thinking, you know, I am a man or I am a woman, you know, deliberately think that. Just to see, you know, before you think I, the gap between I and am, the gap between A, gap between A and man or woman, when you finish thinking man or woman, there's still awareness. What is your real home then? Is it identifying with the gender of the body? Is that a stable, safe identity? You know, is that your real home? Is in uh, the gender of the human form? So some people have transgender, you know, they don't, they feel their body's one gender and their mind's another gender. 
So that's an illusion too, isn't it? Identity with, with gender is a created thing, but the feeling, you know, is we're not male, female, or transgender, but we're this awareness is our real home. The gender of the body or the emotions around gender are conditions we create. They come and go. So you can't find your real home in identifying with with the gender of the human form. Because you can create any problems around gender, which is superior, male or female, you know, then we have, you know, views about patriarchal forms or matriarchal forms or equality, you know, so it becomes causes, identities, feeling, you know, superior or inferior. But what is aware of the feeling of being superior to somebody else or inferior to somebody else? or being equal, and even the sense of the perception of equality is a condition. But what is our real home that isn't about equality or superiority or inferiority is awareness. And that's unitive. We're all have the same awareness. It's not Mine is superior to yours, you know, because I've been a monk for so long. You know, if we think he, Ajahn Sumato, his awareness is much better than mine, that's thinking again, that's seeing me as an object and assuming that because you haven't spent 53 years in monastic robes, that you're not as good as I am. This creation, isn't it? This sense of being separate, being somebody who's better than somebody else or not as good as somebody else. Or the ideal of equality, we're all exactly equal in every possible way, is an ideal. Because the equality of sankharas, what they all share as characteristics, whether they're the best or the worst, good or bad, male or female, is their impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not-self, anicca dukkha So that applies to all these human bodies sitting here, your views about yourself or about the people you're sitting with, about monks, about lay people. You know, these are views that we, you know, we're not going to have the same views or the exactly the same uh, attitudes towards the objects that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think and feel. But where is our real home? Every one of us sitting here at this moment is awareness. 
So that's perfect. If you want perfection, if your aim, if your aspiration is for perfection, it's with you all the time. There's nothing separate. You don't have to find it, you know, by going looking for it or trying to create an image of perfection. This awareness itself, consciousness, it's perfect. And that's our real home. So it's stable and safe. Where what's not your real home is your body. Because it's subject to so many other conditions. You know, to, you can't find any real stability in it. You know, in, in, in the, just the health of a, of a human individual form. You know, it's subject to weather changes, to epidemics, and we all have to get old. No matter how much of a health addict you might be, you know, and trying to maintain good health, it still gets old and gets sick and dies. But a real home can't be a physical body because it, you know, if it's your real home, then it's a safe place to be. But physical body is not a safe place. It's too subject to, ex to other conditions that we are out, that are beyond our control. So this is, you know, speaking like this is I'm encouraging you to reflect what is, what is my real home? What is my real refuge? Like a home, the ideal home, the idea of home is a safe place to be where you're safe. When you're not at home, then you're out in the world and subject to all kinds of other conditions that you can't control. But being at your real home is awareness, consciousness, which isn't shakeable, impermanent, or created by any form of greed, hatred, or delusion. It's like this. And by affirming this more and more, by observing, being the knower of it, it's being this knowing, it's not an object. But then you can't know consciousness as an object. Consciousness knows itself. So when I ask you, are you, are you conscious? You know, that's knowing, direct knowing. You don't have to think about it or ask somebody else. But then when I ask you, you know, are you conscious? You say yes, then you start thinking of consciousness is in my brain or I'm, I am 
uh, this physical form is me and it's conscious. We start creating identities, habit patterns of, of grasping the five khandhas, rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana. We start identifying with thoughts, with perceptions. So we become separate individuals with personalities and and then without, you know, recognizing our real home, we're creating these artificial homes or identities that inevitably are, you know, unstable, uncertain, changing. So that's why there's, you know, the world is a dangerous place because it is, you know, it's beyond control. It's, what if war happens? You know, now in 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 world news, uh, President Trump took the American forces out of Syria, protecting the Kurds, and so the Turks have been bombing the Kurdish part of Syria, and you know, Donald Trump's given the Turkish president kind of rights to invade Syria. And just think of these people in Syria, these Kurds are subject to bombing, to attacks, to invasion. You know, where we're sitting here in this resort, in this Dhamma Hall, able to reflect on just the wars, the dangers of our own thinking process, but at this very time, the people in that part of the world are, you know, women, mothers, children, families fleeing, refugees, all kinds of fears that come from this basic delusion is our real home, you know, identity with being Kurds, identity with being Turks, identity with being Americans, these create these divisions, you know, so we see, you know, some other group as, you know, something to dominate, control, destroy, if they don't go along or agree with us. That's, you know, that's very unstable, that kind of thinking is destructive, cruel, and so that's why humans can do very cruel things to each other. Out of this ignorance, this instability, this fear. But our real home, whether we're Turks, Kurds, Americans, Thais, these are, these are adopted identities. That's not a, the, our real home is the same. Conscious awareness. The same for all of us. It's not just for Buddhists. So this is an opportunity to, to ask yourself, where, where do I really belong? What is my real home? What is stable? What, what is, dependable, that I don't 
create out of habits and ideas and desires. What transcends desire at this very moment is awareness. So the second noble truth is, you know, the three kinds of desire. You're aware, the Buddha encouraged us to be aware, recognize that desire arises and ceases. Like the personal pronoun I, you know, you think one letter. In English, grammar, and you think I, and then it's gone. The identity with, you know, then a human being is, takes a little more time to think, but it arises and ceases. What's left when there's no thought, when there's no identity with a condition? with being Thai, being Chinese, or being American, or being Kurdish, or or Turkish. What is it that all human beings recognize is awareness, whatever language you, you, you may speak. Languages, they're all conditions. They're all sankaras. So then there's compassion, isn't there? We don't see each other as enemies, as, you know, you're different, you don't agree with what I think, or you're different race and different gender, different nationality, you're, you don't, you're not the, a Buddhist or so you're, you know, there's something separate and mis- I can't trust you. We see each other in terms of, of liking or disliking, approving or disapproving, being better than or not as good as. But this way of reflection where we're, our real home is, is one. It's only one home for all of us. It's perfect. So that's awareness. When you identify with your bodies, with your views, opinions, emotions, that's, those are all imperfect. You can't perfect sankharas. Sankharas, some are better than others, admittedly. That's what they do. They're not equal in quality, in form. But they all have They all have the same three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, nata. So in this way, you know, we we have this sense of perfection, where the conditioned realm is not the real world anymore. It's the changing conditions that arise and cease. 
So, you know, you know, animals, the same consciousness. Interesting. Scientists are discovering recently in one of the uh, videos is, uh, you know, they discovered fish feel pain. This is like a new scientific discovery. And imagine that fish don't feel pain. You know, just to try, have you ever gone fishing? And do fish just, you know, grab onto a hook and docilely you can reel them in and they don't feel anything? You know, I used to, when we moved to Chithurst, 1979, where the nun's cottage is, we didn't have that at the time, we just had Chithurst house. And there was an old couple, an old English couple that lived in what is known as the Aloka cottage where the nuns live. And this old couple, they were, you know, he, the man taught uh, people how to fish and shoot guns. And so the Hammer Pond, which is attached to the nun's cottage, was a fishing school. So one time, one Sunday morning, I went down by the pond and this uh, man was fishing and, and he caught a fish in the pond. And, and I stood there watching, you know, he was quite, you know, an experienced fisherman. He knew how to, he knew what he was doing. But the fish was struggling and obviously in pain. It was visible, you know, it was palpable. You could see it with your eye. Is the consciousness of the fish, a, a fish consciousness, is limited to the fish form? Is a dog conscious, consciousness is limited by the form of a, of a dog or a cat? You know, these are questions to ask yourself. Is consciousness specifically, you know, for human beings and the rest of, they don't really matter. Dogs, cats, fish. You know, so, but the real home for all created conditions is awareness, consciousness. And as humans, what we call the Buddha mind, or the Buddha nature, or this Bhutto, is this gift of reflecting on the way it is. So like, fish have to be, follow the conditions of instinct, consciousness, consciousness, same consciousness, but their form is different. Their species is different. They don't speak our language. They don't, you know, they, they don't produce fish who are Buddhas. But in the human realm, just the historical Buddha of India 2,500 years ago 
the human being just like ourselves, the consciousness is exactly the same as Gautama the Buddha. So I think of Gautama the Buddha was, had higher consciousness. He was, especially, you know, when he was born, he walked on, he took seven steps on lotus pads. And, you know, none of us can claim we ever did that. So we are not as good as the Buddha. But these are legends, aren't they? These are metaphors. But if, if Gotama, Prince Siddhartha, or Gotama, they said it Gotama, you know, he had different names. He's known as Prince Siddhartha, and then there's the ascetic Gotama. And then the Buddha. But the Buddha is not personal. It's not, you know, to call oneself a Buddha. It's an, you know, it's, it's still another word, another identity. But what is the reality of Buddha at this very moment? Is it just a conventional word? Is it just a Pali Sanskrit word? Is it, you know, is it referred to one wise sage of the past? When we take refuge in Buddha, Bhutang Sarangachami, are we taking refuge in the memory of a departed sage? Or the Buddha pointed to, you know, the Four Noble Truths, ways to investigate the world we create so that we're not deluded by the conventions that we're living in. We're not getting rid of the conventions. We're not destroying anything. It's not annihilation. But we're no longer deluded by the conventions that we live with, by the societies and the, the social conventions, cultural conventions that we, we're having to live with. So then from consciousness comes Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, the Brahma Viharas. So these four, you know, divine abodes translated into English, the divine abodes. They come from the perfection of Dhamma. You know, the, is, does an Arahant, does he lack compassion? Some, does he, not experience joy at the goodness and beauty of the world, the others around. You know, so metta and upeka are baramis, you know, in the structure of Theravada Buddhism with ten baramis, the last two baramitas or virtues are metta karuna. And then he used to ask myself, what happened to metta and upeka? What about Karuna and Mudita? Are they, they're not included in the Paramis. So awareness, aware of itself, is loving kindness. It's like love is a unitive. You know, Umetta is unitive. It's not, it's not discriminating, preferring one condition over another. 
Upeka is peace. So, you know, in our own experience of, through meditation, through mindfulness, we experience metta, loving kindness, unconditioned love, and upeka, peace, equanimity. And then there's a relation, a relating to the world around us, to the conventional forms, including our own physical form. We have metta for us, you know, ahang sakito homi, we have metta, we start with this experience right now, which we call our ourself. So it's non-critical, isn't it? Ahangsakidomi is awareness of the body, of the states of mind, of the habit patterns, emotional habits you have. It's not criticizing them. It's not judging you by your thoughts or emotional habits or tendencies or your appearance. So Ahangsakito Homi is not, you know, it's not about judging or approving or liking, but it's accepting like this. All conditions are impermanent. And then equanimity, Upeka is peace. It's the nature of consciousness itself. Karuna, compassion, is what we feel for the misery, unhappiness, suffering of others. And we need just the joy and the beauty, the goodness of others and the world around us. So, Karuna Mudita, how we we express our, through our forms, and how we relate to the world, to the society we're living in. So this Brahma Vihara really, you know, is no longer just idealistic thinking. It's no longer you know, just thinking positively and and holding to ideas of compassion and joy as as, as ideas in themselves, but their natural responses to specific situations. So I encourage you not you know to when I speak like this, when I talk like this, it's not, it's not doctrine I'm trying to impose upon you, but this, you know, encouragement to trust your awareness, this teaching, this encouragement that I repeat endlessly. Because when you think about yourself, you can't trust it. You can't think trust yourself as a person because it's very changeable. But what you can trust, no matter what state you're in, is awareness. It's like this. <laughs> 